Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Aaron DeLong. I'm the lead pastor here at Simple Church, and I'm so excited to be with you today as we continue our series called It's Complicated, But It Doesn't Have to Be. Uh, Today, let's jump right into it and go to our uh, verse for our entire series, and it is Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. It says this, it says, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. In other words, they wouldn't uh, not necessarily just sing to him, but they wouldn't give him his rightful place, that that he was a good idea, that God is a good idea, but he didn't have supreme authority. He wasn't uh, the one who was in charge, and they wouldn't give him his rightful place. That's what worship is, the priority positioning. And they wouldn't even give him thanks. They wouldn't say thanks to him. And it says, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And so in other words, what they did was they took the image of God and who he had said that he was all throughout scripture. And they replaced it with an image more of themselves, more of what they wanted God to look like, which is what we often do, right? We try to make ourselves God or to make the God of the universe more like us in our minds and what we want. And so we have this image of ourselves that we really project onto God. So that, that's what's happening here, okay? And, and so they're thinking of foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, because there are consequences to doing this, to not giving God his proper place, to not putting him in the priority that he belongs and not worshiping him, there's, there, there's a consequence, there's a result. It says their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And here's where we land. It says they traded the truth about God for a lie. And this series, it's all about our relationships. And we're talking about how they have become complicated. And the answer to the question of why is this relationship complicated? Why is our sexuality complicated? Why is being single complicated? Well, ultimately it comes down to this verse and it's that we've traded God's truth. In other words, his best for us. He's the creator. We are the created being. He has a design, plan, and purpose and a way for us to live our lives. We call it righteousness, which means right living. He has a way for us to live, but we refused it. We've changed who God is. We've even changed and and compromised his values and his standards and said, no, we're going to live down here. And as a result, we've exchanged the truth for lies, for culture. We've lowered our estimation of God's ways and we bought into lies and replaced those with truth. And as a result of that, our relationships are complicated. And and those lies that we've bought into keep us at complication station. So today what we're going to do is look at marriage. Marriage is complicated, but it doesn't have to be. And this today, this this message is going to be a one point sermon. One thought that I'm going to give you and I'm going to prove it to you throughout scripture. That is solely going to be our focus because I think this particular topic, if you'll do it, if this one thing, if you'll do it, It will uncomplicate your marriage. And I know that there's a lot of controversy around it. So I'm going to take my time. We're going to walk through some scripture, really lay a solid foundation for how you can have an uncomplicated marriage by doing things God's way. And it's this one idea that is found in God's model for marriage that we see in Genesis chapter two. Verse 24 says this, 
That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The model that God has for a husband and wife for marriage is that the two, the two separate individuals, the two separate lives become one. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. That's my one point sermon. You want to uncomplicate your marriage. You need to become one. Becoming one sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds great, especially when we think about it, you know, we're dating and, and we're, or maybe you're engaged and you're looking forward to your wedding day and maybe your wedding day is really, really close and you're looking forward to becoming one, joining your lives together. But you, here's the thing, the, the, the emotion and the rush and all the stuff that is leading you up to that day, all the feelings that have led you to that moment of becoming one. Newlyweds and those that are on their way to getting married cannot even begin to understand the cost or even imagine the cost. And how could they? Because they've never done it before, but the cost of becoming one. And unfortunately for many people, when the love is gone, when the emotion is gone of that day, the cost of becoming one reveals itself and their marriage becomes complicated. You know, marriage already has a lot going against it. Uh, In fact, culture has shifted so much around marriage and its ideas behind marriage. Even today, there are less people getting married and more people that are just choosing to bypass marriage. They're they're just going to live together. We're just going to cohabitate and play a house together. And there's lots of reasons for that. Honestly, the enemy that, that exists, his name is Satan. He wants to destroy it because marriage isn't just a promise that you make to each other. It's not a contract that you make with the state. Marriage is a covenant that you make between each other, which is a promise that you make to God. And anything that involves God, in fact, God set it up this way, the enemy wants to destroy. He wants to destroy the covenant relationship that is marriage. And so he is working to destroy it in lots of ways. Culture also views marriage in a negative light. It's too constrictive. We were never really meant for monogamy. And so people push away from marriage. Societal norms of of 50% of marriages end in separation or divorce. And by the way, that's inside and outside of the church, which to me is such a terrible, terrible statistic that even within the church, we can't get it together. Makes, mar- makes wanting to be married, following God's plan for our lives, becoming one, paying the price in order to do that, undesirable. Like, I've been there. I was married as a young man. I was married in my 20s. It lasted a year and we got divorced. And I'm telling you, it was really hard to want to position myself for that kind of pain again. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. Others of you, you know plenty of married people who are married and miserable. Come on. Now, somebody, you know somebody. If they're sitting there with you or maybe it's your spouse, don't point at them and don't say amen out loud because I'm not trying to get you in trouble. But you know people who have been married for years and they can't stand each other. And you can't stand being around them because of the way that they treat each other, the way that they talk to each other. You're, you're like, do you guys even like each other? Do you, do you love each other? Like, do you even enjoy being around each other anymore? Others of us, the, 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 the pushback to even getting married is, is our personal experiences. Maybe you've been in relationships where there's been extreme pain or extreme betrayal. 
Maybe it was your divorce. Maybe it was a, your parents who got divorced. Or maybe your parents stayed together, but they created a toxic home and a toxic environment for you to be in. And you're just like, no, thank you. Marriage, doing it God's way, making a covenant relationship, choosing to pay the price to become one. The uniting of a man and a woman together looks undesirable. And then for a lot of us Christians that get married, marriage is still complicated. It's tough. And one of the main reasons that marriage remains complicated is because of one word. It's because we're all selfish. This word selfish, what it means is that we're focused on ourselves. Now, when you're a child, like you're an infant, it's acceptable to be selfish, like a baby. A baby gets up in the middle of the night and screams its head off and it cries because it wants to be fed or it needs its diaper changed. And the baby doesn't care that you are asleep or you're, you're exhausted from night after night of this. They don't care. They're focused on themselves. And as an infant, that's okay to be selfish. And as, as that infant grows and becomes a toddler, that toddler learns words and that selfishness begins to play out. And it's something that, that must be dealt with because that selfishness begins to develop in a single word. And that single word that sends chills down the spine of the already over-exhausted parent who spent a long day at work. Dinner has been served. The dishes have been cleaned up. And they're just sitting down to watch a television show on Netflix, Hulu, or maybe they're catching up on their sports on their ESPN app or whatever they're doing. And they hear this sound from down the hallway as it echoes through the house and the child shrieks this blood curdling scream, mine, mine, mine. It's like an alarm going off in the middle of the night. You can't see straight yet, right? You don't know where it's coming from, but you're, you're in a desperate rush to try to find where the sound is coming from and silence it. And you come upon your child, your toddler, who is screaming, mine, mine. And there's an older sibling there fighting with it saying, no, but it really is mine. And the parent who is exhausted has no care or concern who it belongs to in the moment. They just want the sound to stop. And maybe they'll take it and say, just give it to him already. Just give it to him. I'll have peace in my house. Selfishness on display. Hopefully is it child grows older, we we're going to teach them a word and a concept called sharing. And the, we do this in order to help them to upend that selfishness within them. And it's a challenge for kids. But we hope that what we teach them, this concept of sharing, goes even on into their teenage years and all the way into adulthood. And hopefully that comes along in marriage. But you know, the sharing isn't, isn't actually the solution. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. There's some things in marriage and in your relationship with your spouse. There are things we don't want to share. I know for plenty of guys, they don't want to share food. In fact, this is a common frustration for, for the average male. Hey, babe, I'm going to get some food. We'll pull it into the drive-thru. Do you want anything? No, it'll be fine. I'll just have a few of your fries. No, you won't. I want all of my fries. Now, this is not me. I'm happy to share my fries. I don't care. But, but honestly, if I know that you're going to eat, why don't you just go ahead and order some food? No, I don't want to order any food. It'll be fine. I'll just have some of yours. Now, just go ahead and order your own. No, that's fine. I'll just, I'll just have one or two of yours. And you know what happens? As soon as you pull away, the drink that you get, she drinks half of it, and she eats more than half of her share of, of your food, right? 
So here's a hot tip for you, for those of you that don't like to share it, because I know that there's some guys, they don't share fries. Uh, in fact, Derek, our creative pastor, he doesn't share fries. That's, that's not a thing that he does. He gets all the fries and all the fries that fell into the bottom of the bag are also his, right? They do not, they're not up for grabs. Those were his, they were in his container. They just fell out, but they belong to him. We don't want to share. So here's a hot tip. Guys, just go ahead and order her what she would normally eat. Order her her own thing of fries. Order her a sandwich. She will eat it, I promise you. One of the things that I personally don't like to share, I don't like to share bathroom time. Some of y'all are just weird. You're just fine with it. It's like a thing. You don't mind to go into the bathroom when the other one's in there and share that time because the bathroom is where we make duties. I don't want to make duties in front of my spouse. You're like, Aaron, but you do all kinds of things where they see those parts of your body. Yeah, but I still don't want to share that time with her. And my wife knows that. There have been plenty of times I'll be in there shaving and she walks into the bathroom with me. That kind of time is fine to share. Next thing I know, I look behind me and she's she's doing things. I don't want to, I'll just stop what I'm doing and I march out of that room. I don't want to share bathroom time. She knows how much I'm against it. This is like a no sharing zone when something is going on there to the point that she will come in to the bathroom when I am in there intentionally trying to talk to me and flirt with me and she gets all close and she wants to kiss me. I'm like, get, I'm not kissing you woman. I'm not going to do it. Learning a concept of sharing is not enough to uncomplicate your marriage. It doesn't lead to you becoming one. So, so what, does, what does becoming one even mean? This, this concept of becoming one. Well, understand what the word one is. One can mean several things as we look at it. One can mean singular, like it's just, there's just one of them. But it also can mean being together in unity. And this is what Genesis 2, the very first wedding that we ever see in the Bible, the marriage between Adam and Eve, the two became one flesh. They became, they, they came together in unity. Now, specifically, the Bible is speaking about the act of sex, sexual intercourse at this point that makes them become one flesh, right? Jesus talks, of, uh, talks about Genesis 2 and Matthew and repeats it in Mark and Paul references it in 1 Corinthians 6. So it says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 16, it says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Paul getting, Paul's getting in their business here. And he says, never, because, because Paul is talking to the church at Corinth and it was very common for, for, uh, for prostitution to be uh, everywhere in the city of Corinth. And so those that were new believers, he's rebuking this situation. So here goes, he goes, never. He said, do not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. For it is said, and here he goes, he's quoting Genesis 2, the two shall become one flesh. Now, Paul is reinforcing the idea that sex is what unites people between husband and wife, man and prostitute. It unites them into one flesh, not just for the moment, but it unites them into one body. But here's the thing. If sex were the answer, then why are our marriages still complicated? So, so what that means is, is, is sex is not 
the answer to uncomplicating your marriage. Now, some of you are just hitting, you want to hit a button. You're going to be sending me a text messages and calling me later saying, excuse me, Aaron, I beg to differ. Listen, I'm not saying that it doesn't help. Okay. I'm not saying that it doesn't have its place and that it doesn't have its benefit. I, I, I'm not speaking to those things, but what I'm saying is, is that becoming one in flesh through the act of sex is not the answer to uncomplicating your marriage. There has to be something beyond flesh, beyond sex. And the good news is that we see the answer play out through scripture. In fact, we see the answer in the very next verse. Watch this because it's a beautiful thing that you're going to see play out here that, that as we see the example here, we're going to see that, that it applies to us in our marriage. So here's the next, next verse. First Corinthians 6, 17 says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Hmm. So Paul's saying, all right, when you're united, you're one flesh, but there's a way to be united in one spirit. What does it mean to be one in spirit? What means to be one in purpose, one in unity, one in goals, that, that you are on the same page when it comes to your mission, when it comes to your values, your, your, uh, your vision for your life. And here is our answer. Becoming one in, in flesh is not how you uncomplicate your marriage, but becoming one in spirit. You say, well, how? How did Jesus do it? Well, the answer is found here in scripture. It, it's just, it's, it's plain as the nose on my face. Jesus made a way for us to become one in spirit with him through his death. He died. But I'm going to say something a little controversial. And I want you to listen to me clearly. It wasn't just his death on the cross. Hear me. Yes, there was a physical death that Jesus went through where he died, was buried, and resurrected from the dead. But Jesus also went through a death to self that started a long time ago in heaven before he ever walked this earth where he cho chose to lay down glory, to lay down heaven, to, to humble himself and become a human form to be put into a, the, the humble circumstances of a child in a poor family in the middle of Galilee. In fact, it says this in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God. So, so there was a time he existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, it wasn't something that, that was worth holding on to versus what was to come. Watch this. He said, but emptied himself. So, so all of his rights, all of his privileges, all of the glory, all of the comforts of heaven, angels there that he could dispatch to do whatever he wanted. No pain, no sickness, no sorrow. He wasn't experiencing anything that we experience in humanity today. He did not consider all of that anything to hold on to. He died to himself, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, watch this, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Now, if Paul was talking about on the cross, he would have just said death on the cross. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about death to himself. And then he goes on to say, even. So that, that includes. So the death to self that he already demonstrated by leaving heaven, laying down his life, laying down his rights and his privileges, and even death on the cross. 
Jesus did all of this with the sole focus of serving us. He became a servant. Though he was the dominant one, though he is equal to God, he laid all of the glory and splendor down, preferred us, came to serve us. This is who Jesus is, and this is the pattern that he lays out for us. Jesus died for us, became a servant. And when we become a Christian, in order to follow him, we must do the same thing. In fact, our life's focus becomes about serving him. It's us choosing to lay down our lives. Jesus talked about it this way. He said, if anyone's to follow me, take up your cross and die. It's a call to death. Paul talking about his Christian life and the way that he would serve Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 31 says, I die daily. I choose to die daily. It's not me, but it's Christ that lives in me. If you're going to become one in spirit with Jesus, it requires us to follow his example and choose to die, to lay down our preferences, to lay down our privileges, to lay down our desires, even the things that we want, to live a life that serves him. And so it, it follows that if we want to become one in spirit with our spouse, if we want to uncomplicate our marriage, well, the answer is to die. So you're like, okay, I'm down for that. Her first. <laughs> Listen, I'm not talking about a physical death. Again, hear me. I'm not calling for you to die in this world. I'm calling you to die to self. In fact, I live this way. I have a daily declaration, daily affirmation that hangs on my uh, mirror so that every day as I'm getting ready, I can read it and see it. And it starts with, with de declaring my death and submission to Christ, that he's my boss. And the second line is, I love my wife and I will lay down my life to serve her. See, it's not just about being willing to die. That, 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 that if I saw her in danger, that I would push her out of the way and take a bullet for her. Or, or that, 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 that I would choose, God, don't let her die, let me die instead. It's, it's not about my physical death. It's about dying to me. And my death requires me to die to my desires, the things that I want, the things that I would prefer. I would prefer to do things this way. I would prefer that things go this place in this house. I would prefer that we don't hang out with that person. I would, I want to spend our money this way. I want to make sure that we have sex this many times. I want to make sure that, that her attitude is this or that she says this or that he does that. We've got desires, things that we want. They've got to die. We've got our rights, things that we're owed. You know, if you're right in a conversation and, and you want to gloat about that, there's rights that need to just, that are not helpful. They need to die. There's privileges need to die. We have to learn to humble ourselves. And for me, that means serving my wife. It means preferring her over myself. It means considering her as more than myself. For me, that means to humble myself. By, by serving her, by preferring her over what I want, preferring her desires and considering her even as more or even more than I do my own self. I, I get it when we talk about, you know, I'll die when they do, but, but that's not how Jesus did it. Jesus, 
He went first and he was the dominant one in the relationship. And I would encourage you that whoever the dominant one in your relationship is needs to go first. You need to lay down your life. You need to die to self in order to become one in spirit. If you're not convinced yet, based on the scriptures I've shared, let me share this with you. Hebrews 9, 17 says this, excuse me, 16 through 17 says this, for where there is a covenant, right? This is what marriage is. For where there is a covenant, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. And he's, again, not talking about a physical death, although it may include that. He said, for a covenant is valid only when people are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Your covenant relationship of marriage requires that you die to self. Want more evidence? I got you. All right. Ephesians 5. Man, this is a very controversial section of verses when it comes to marriage. But you, but you need to understand the reason that it is controversial is because there are those of you that maybe the, the verses in Ephesians 5 uh, that speak to marriage have unfortunately been taken out of context. They have unfortunately, because they've been taken out of context, been used improperly. And again, another unfortunate thing is, is when scripture gets used improperly, removed from its context, it creates pain and confusion and, and, and can lead people away from following Christ and having a godly marriage the way God intended it. So let me bring some clarity to that and some context. Ephesians 5 opens up and it's speaking to the unity of the church about being one in spirit. In fact, it overall, the summary again, it tells us to die. It even starts this way. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and watch this and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What are we supposed to imitate? We're supposed to imitate Jesus in the way that we love each other, in the way that we walk with each other. And then the verses go on to tell the how you're supposed to do that in your everyday life with each other, in your word, in your thought, in your deed. It covers interactions between brothers and sisters in Christ. It says, it says that ultimately what needs to happen is you need to submit to the Holy Spirit as your authority. That's the spirit of Christ and to one another. In fact, Ephesians 5.21 says that, submit to one another. Now, this word submit is a really tough word. In fact, we don't yike it. We don't yike it at all. Like it, but it has this heavy connotation that we are supposed to just submit. That, that our feelings and what we want and our desires and our opinions and any contribution we would have to the conversation or to our goals or to how we're going to live our lives, to any of it, it, it feels like they don't matter. It feels like who we are and what we bring to the table is denigrated and made smaller. And so we don't like this word submit, but we need to understand what it means. It means to come under in humility. It's a choice where we are submitting. And note this, that there's never just one person that is told to submit. Brothers and sisters in Christ alike and equally are called to submit to one another that this is a mutual preferring of each other. This is a mutual laying down of each other's lives. We're going to come under in humility. The spirit and heart of this is, is that submit, submitting would be more in 
in the way of laying your life down in battle for one another, that you're going to prefer and protect and honor and respect. Like this is, these are powerful concepts. Submitting is a powerful concept that you need in your life, specifically as a Christian, because it sounds to me and actually is exactly what Jesus did for us. He submitted himself to us by humbling himself and becoming a servant. He laid down his life and he died to self. That's the call for us to do. And so these first verses in Ephesians 5, uh, 1 through 21, addresses the church at large, brothers and sisters. And then Paul turns his attention to, uh, to the wives and the husbands in verses 22 through 33. So here we go. Here's the verses. This is, th- this is great. Here it goes. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So he's very clear here. That in the way that you submit to your husband is supposed to be the same way that you submit to the Lord, right? For the husband is the head of the wife as, here we go, we're giving a very clear picture of this, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the savior, right? Because Christ laid his life down for us, saved us. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now, let me be clear here. This verse does not give men permission to be mean or to be the boss or to be tyrants. That I have heard stories of men who have used this verse to say, woman, submit. And every time a man tells me the story of how he used this verse to tell a woman to submit, there is never, never a successful ending to that story. In fact, there is isolation and separation and anger and malice and bad stuff, okay? This never works out because that's not what it means. What it means is that men have a responsibility to be the priests and leaders of their homes. And again, that doesn't mean that they're their bosses. It means they have a responsibility to lead themselves well. And honestly, a lot of men refuse this role because they, they either didn't see it exemplified for them. They've not, they've not learned how to grow in it. They didn't know that they needed to take responsibility. There's lots of reasons. But men, I would encourage you. This is your role to step up. Again, it's to be the spiritual leader, meaning that you lead yourself well spiritually and you encourage those to follow along with you. So you be the spiritual leader and the priest of your home and watch as they choose to follow you. Not because of out of obligation, but because of mutual submission to one another. They'll follow you, not out of obligation, but out of mutual submission to one another. It also doesn't mean that, that, that women are to be subservient to men. You know, ladies, I, I just have to clarify for you that even in this day and in this time, specifically in this culture, women were considered to be less than, but this scripture makes it very clear. Both are part of the same body. My head can't live without my body, my lungs, my heart, everything is contained within my body. My brain is here and my body can't function without my head, and my head can't function without my body. You are all mutual and equal in the kingdom of God, whether you are in, in, in the rest of the world or not, in Christ, you are in men. We are to look at our women as equals with us. This also doesn't mean that the men get to make all the decisions. It, it's just true 
Listen, I had a recent situation where Shanda and I, we, we were reorganizing our finances and we discovered that there was a surplus in a situation. And one of the things that I love to do, I love to give away money. This is just something I love to do. And so I came to her and I said, babe, I said, I think that with this amount here, um, you, know, you know, we've already tithed on it. It's all ours, but we discovered this surplus, this accidental surplus we have. I think we should give some of it away. And she said, I think that's a great idea. Me too. I said, okay, I've got a number in my mind and this is what I'm thinking we should do. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to, uh, in a second, I want you to write down a number. I want you just to just to listen to your heart. What does your heart tell you to do? And she gave a number and I gave a number and mine was way more than hers. Now you have to understand, I love to give it away, give money away. I would give it all away if I could, uh, which, which might sound a little irresponsible on my part. I'm just like, I just, I just love giving money away. It's fun guys. It's fun being a blessing to somebody. If you've never just given somebody a stack of cash, uh, it, it, it's just a lot of fun to do. And so I asked her for her numbers and her number was way lower than mine. I said, can we try that again? Let's go ahead and try that again. I said, because my number is way higher than yours. And so we came back, back to the table and her number was only a little bit higher, not a lot higher. And my number was still the same. She wanted to give away a certain amount of money and I wanted to give away way more. And I'm just like that. I like to give away a lot more, but I'm sure there was a reason for why we needed to give this dollar amount. And so we prayed about it. There was peace and we, we went with her number. I, I submitted, but there was a mutual submission to each other in this place. And I believe that's what this, these verses mean. Men don't get to make all the decisions. There's a call for mutual submission. Now watch this. Paul's going to turn his lens towards the men. And here's what I think is funny. When you look at this, Paul gives the women three verses to understand what submission looks like. And, and I think the women understood it because of the cultural context. They were considered less than, they were considered indentured servants. They understood what submit meant, specifically as it meant to the Lord. They got the concept, okay? They got it. But the, but the next verses, there are three times as many verses. There are nine verses for the men to understand how to love their wives. So here we go. It says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm. This is the perfect picture. Guys, this is the way we're supposed to love our lives, our wives. Same way that Christ loved the church and gave up. He laid down. He died. And there's benefits to that. There's actually, there's beauty to that. What happens when, when Christ laid his life down for us was to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water of the word. And so he's talking to, to salvation and what, what Christ did for us on the cross and to present herself, him, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way. Watch this. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. In other words, what Paul is saying is Jesus did all of this for his church, which is part of his body. And that the way that the men are supposed to love their wives as is as if they love themselves. Now, guys, you take care of your body. In fact, here's the, the, the one of the ways that you love yourself. Men could be overweight, balding, out of shape, and look at themselves in the mirror and say, you, you are sexy right? We love ourselves. We care for ourselves. We take care of ourselves, our bodies. We take care of them. And in the same way, it's this mutual submission. We are supposed to take care of our wives. We're to love our wives as they are our own bodies. He who loves his wife, here's the benefit, loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, 
but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, and he goes on and quotes Genesis 2, says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, watch this. He wraps all, all up for the men. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I mean, I understand that these verses are easy to say. So talk about dying to self and it being the pathway to becoming one. But there's nothing easier than saying these things. There's really nothing harder than, than actually living them out. Laying down your life takes a commitment. It's a, it's a daily commitment. It, it takes intentionality from you in your relationships, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in your marriage, in, in, in the way that you talk, in the way that you love, in the way that you care, in the, in the way that you lay down your rights, privileges, your desires, your time, your money, all of it takes intentionality, takes practicality. And oftentimes the best way to do these things is even systematically. It's going to cost you a lot to become one. There's a call scripturally for us to submit to lay down our lives, but it is not a one-way street. It is a mutual one, and we must choose it daily. You want to uncomplicate your marriage? Die. Say, Aaron, well, what if we can't agree on something? What if there's just something we, we can't arrive on? It's a big thing. It's not just a simple thing about where we're going to eat tonight or, 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 you know, it's not something small. It's not something trivial. It's a, it's a big deal. I would mutually submit to each other and submit to the Lord. What I mean by that is if you can't find peace on something between the two of you, you ought to be doing this anyway on big things. It shouldn't be the last thing, but you need to pray. Prayer should never be our last resort. It should be our first action. It should be the first thing that we do. And, and ask the Lord, what would you have us do? Push pause on the matter. Search for his peace and wait on it. Wait on the Lord. Submit to each other and submit to him. That means that sometimes you're not going to get the answer right now. But you trust that he has the answer. And it ultimately calls for us to die. And again, I know that this is not an easy thing to do, but I promise you that God's best for your life is on the other side of this. I promise you that, that serving Christ, making him your life's focus, there's a full and fulfilled life that he promises us. There's no greater joy than, than taking up our cross and dying daily for him. But it's the same in your marriage. It, it, it's better. You want to experience a full and fulfilled marriage? You want to uncomplicate that marriage? Because it doesn't have to be complicated. Choose to die to yourself. To become one in spirit with your spouse. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would soften each one of our hearts. Because for some of us, this is the first time we're hearing a message like this. That to become one, we have to die to ourselves, to our own desires, to our own, own uh, preferences, privileges, all these things. And with this being a new concept to us, that means that, 
that your word has to do its work in our hearts today to help us become one in our marriages. And so, Lord, I pray that you would begin that work. I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would soften the hearts of each member of the marriage, from the husband and the wife, mutually. And I pray, God, that, that they would learn to come together to be one, not just in flesh, but in spirit, one in mission, one in values, one in uh, vision, one in goals. Lord, help them, help those of us that are already in agreement with this. Help us to continue to find ways to lay down our lives, to love our spouse. And God, I, I pray that, uh, that even for those of us that agree with this, but we find that we've drifted a bit, I, I pray that we realize that, that repentance is what's needed here. And that's not a bad word. That all we need to do is simply just turn around. So God, I just ask that for those of us that have drifted, that we realize we've drifted, that, that as we turn, we would met with your grace, as we turn and humble ourselves and come back to your ways where we die to self, die to our preferences, that you, Lord, would begin doing your work and making us one in spirit with each other. Now, for those of you that are, are here today, this is a difficult concept. This becoming one in spirit requires death. And the greatest way for us to understand that, first of all, is understand that, that this kind of death is, is motivated by the relationship we have with Christ. In fact, the power to even do this, to mutually submit to one another, to die to self, to prefer one another, we need God's power to do that. And so you may find yourself in a place where, Aaron, I want to do this. I want to have an uncomplicated marriage. Not a perfect one, but an uncomplicated one. Whether you're married now or desire to be married someday, like I want that. I want to be uncomplicated in my relationships in general. I want to walk in unity with people. I need God's power. And today what I hear I need most is I need Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that, that, it's, that God loves you so much. That as I said, he sent Jesus and Jesus willingly surrendered all of heaven because of his love for you. And he came to this earth, lived this life, experienced all of humanity fully. He understands what you've been through and what you've experienced. He can relate and he laid down his life for you. He gave his life as a ransom. In other words, he paid the price, the price that each one of us has to pay because of our sin in our lives. You see, our sins separate us from God. But Jesus, because he lived a perfect life, sinless life, was the only one who could lay down his life for us. And so he did. He died on that cross. He shed his blood. And in doing so, he made it so that we could be forgiven. We could be made brand new. So that we could be filled with his spirit. We could be in right relationship with God. We'd have access to his power and access to the full and fulfilled life that he promises here on this earth. So if you're ready to receive Jesus, if you're ready to receive what he did for you on the cross, when he died, was buried and rose from the dead three days later, if you're ready to be restored into right relationship with God, receive power to live a full and fulfilled life, I'm gonna give you the words to say, and we're gonna pray a prayer together. But if you're accepting that and saying, yeah, I'm saying, saying yes to Jesus today, there's a, and you're in our online campus, just hit the button that says, I'm raising my hand to say yes to Jesus. Others of you that are watching through YouTube or you're watching on Facebook, there's a digital connection card in the, a link in the description of the video. Click that. 
Make sure you, you let us know. I'm saying yes to Jesus. But either way, pray this prayer today and understand it's not the words that you say that make a difference. It's the heart of the person saying, so Jesus, I need you right now. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you and how to tell others about you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, if you made that, uh, that confession today, heaven's having a party for you. We're celebrating with you as well. We want to welcome you to our family. Uh, the best way to do that in order to understand what your next spiritual steps are and how to be part of our family is to fill out a connect card. Let one of our team members reach out to you and show you what your next steps are. Love to get you connected with growth tracks so that you can understand who we are as a church, what, uh, what your purpose is here on this earth and how you can begin engaging in that to make a difference. We'd love to help you with that. Your next steps, man, please make sure that you click that digital connection card and uh, let us celebrate with you. Um, also at this time, as we're wrapping up, man, just want to give an opportunity for those of us uh, that are, have come today prepared to give of your tithes and your offerings. Information is here on the screen. If you're a guest with us, you're under no obligation to give. We're really just glad that you're here today. We hope that uh, that you enjoyed what you heard today, that you're encouraged by it, man, that even the, that the Spirit of the Lord is leading you into uh, a new life, a new, new form of relationship, one that is not complicated, man, because it doesn't have to be. So, uh, it, uh, use these ways to give here on the screen. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, man, we're really excited. Part of your faithfulness and in this season specifically, we have a fund going where you guys have given, given so much to it. It's called the In This Together campaign. This is above and beyond your tithes and, uh, and the money that has gone in there this past week. We were able to use it to bless. Uh, the, the teachers and staff, we bought dinner for everybody at French Run Elementary right here in Reynoldsburg and, uh, and just, just were a blessing to them. So thank you for being a blessing to us. As we say, simple thank yous to those that have been essential during this time and have continued to be a blessing to them. You can continue to be a part of that as we are continuing to reach out to those that have been essential. Uh, just check out our app or check out our website. I'm sure they shared some with you during the announcements about how you can be part of a simple thank you, either by donating goods, uh, giving of your time to help us assemble and deliver, or maybe even just to donate funds to it so that we can continue to do it. But thank you so much for your generosity in this season. We're continuing to make a difference with all that you give us. We love you guys. Come back next week as we continue on in this series uh, called It's Complicated, but it doesn't have to be. God bless you guys. I love you so much.